Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing. Ich bin Host Manu Weff. Hier ist Stefan Bierenkowski. Stefan, how's it going? Uh, Manu, I actually think you got that introduction wrong because you should be saying Aloha. This is the Gig Impressing <laughs> podcast because you are, of course, recording from sunny Hawaii. Yeah. And I am recording from the frozen hellscape, which is the Scottish Highlands right now. Um, I was just saying to you before we started recording that it hasn't gone above minus two today. Uh, and I was out walking my dog dressed basically like an Eskimo. Like, so... <laughs> We could not be in more contrasting surroundings right now. Yeah, that's uh, freezing cold. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's cold. Okay, it's whatever it's, when, whenever so, it starts freezing in Fahrenheit, that's what it is. So Canada does Celsius as well, but yeah. of course in the US they do Fahrenheit. Um, I think that's 30? Yeah. You know, I think freezing a, a is 30. Yeah, a couple below freezing. People, people, Americans listening to this podcast can educate us Celsius people on their weird measurement of temperature. I know that in Hawaii it's been between 70 and 80 every day, which sounds mm. excruciatingly hot, but it's actually kind of perfect. <laughs> so, Fahrenheit just always sounds so much worse than, than Celsius, no matter how way, which way you do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's a lot more than what I'm experiencing right now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's been it's been lovely. Um, I've been scolded today by one of our subscribers for a posting during my holiday, and I said, "Well, gegen pressing subscribers are still getting surfed," as I said. Um, mm. So here I am. Um, Although yeah. it's worth saying for the final time of the year. Yeah. Yes. Because this is the final main show of the year before we take our Christmas holidays. That's right. So this is the last week of. We're still gonna write, I think, um, just not record. Mm. Um, but takes definitely takes some time off because like Christmas is pretty quiet. There's not much happening, and then in January we have the energy to then fully come back. So yeah, this is just a good reminder that this is like the last week of podcasting. Um, we have a lot to discuss, though, Stefan. So we should probably jump right into it after this break. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You will always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And is your continued source for all sports wagering information. BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. That's it, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. So yeah, um, three big topics. I think the first one that we wanted to discuss is the Labadia stuff. Right mm. now, officially introduced at Stuttgart, and and <laughs> how long did it take? Oh my Thirty God. minutes until he stepped into the first landmine. Well done, Bruno. <laughs> I don't want to say I told you so, but actually, I can't take I can't take any credit for this or anyone. None of us could have expected it to go this badly, this quickly at Stuttgart. Uh, I was so close to tweeting something about, you know, this is what happens when you hire old dinosaurs, but I don't want to insinuate that he's always been a racist or anything like that, you know. But mm. for anyone who's not really um, aware of what happened, at the press conference today, he was asked about Manuel Neuer's injury while skiing, which is a topic we'll get onto uh, at the end yeah. of the sh- not the end of the show, in the next topic. And he said, when I look at our team, I can 
I can't picture many, uh, you know, a Koulibaly or a Serhu uh, Gurasi somewhere on skis. Maybe I'm wrong by associating them more with the sun, which has come across as very kind of, let's say, culturally insensitive. He's basically mm-hmm. saying, you know, they're black, so they don't ski, uh, which is, you know, just a stupid thing to say. And quite rightly, he's getting kind of pulled over the hot coals for this online. And, you know, I'm sure the club will have to make all sorts of apologies and whatnot. But it's just an example of what happens when you hire these guys as your head coaches. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's kind of like something I would expect from like, I don't know, like, well, actually, I'm not even going to name names because I guess I would be indirectly suggesting that they're kind of racist or, or, or they're, they're cl- so I'm not going to actually, I don't want to put, make the podcast, you know, liable to um, defamation suit, but it's just something you'd expect from like your old kind of uncle or grandfather or something, isn't it? Who just kind of comes mm-hmm. around for Christmas or Thanksgiving and he starts mumbling about immigrants and things and you're like, oh my God. How do you get through? How do you even function at work every day if these things just come spewing out of your mouth? Um, and that's who, that's who Stuttgart have hired as a new head coach. Which, sorry, I'll let you, I'll let you jump into this before I actually mention another story that came up as well about Stuttgart. But I'll let you jump in first. Yeah, I, I just, you know, it, I think cultural incent, incentive is like the, um, the, the right white way to describe it right um just think before you say something like that maybe um even if it's probably not meant in in a bad way it just doesn't sound like the 21st century (laughs) as you said it's the kind of thing that um people of all parents generation i guess would say um i don't know it's like it's, it's the thing is the, the thing like that, that what strikes me about that too is that um, you know nowadays you're supposed to have all this sort of sensitive training right when it comes mm-hmm. to press conferences and the way you behave when you speak to the media we have another story later on when it comes to when on how to say things when the media is around so this is a good theme here but <laughs> it's just just look at the room and read the room and s- see the situation that you're in and this is also not a good way to start a new new role, right? At a new club, um, mm. where you're supposed to guide the team into what is a very difficult situation. There was a bunch of stuff that came out today, like the fact that he wants all players to be at the training ground at seven thirty. Did you see mm. that? And then um, do like the full day, have them have breakfast there, and then train together. And I don't know. This is not the sort of this sort of stuff can really backfire. In yeah. the situation at the end, I think yeah, and I, I, I think there's obviously the wider context to this as well. The Stuttgart right now, you know, as I put it on Twitter, are this kind of burning dumpster fire, burning dumpster fire of a club yeah. at the moment where everything seems to be going wrong. Um, you know, this actually kind of this came or Bruno Labadia's kind of ridiculous comments came shortly after. The club's CEO, Alexander, is it Verrill? Mm-hmm. Um, he told Kicker that basically, if the club got relegated this season, they'll be like bankrupt. You know, I've got a direct quote here. He said, "Relegation in 2023 would not be comparable to 2016 and 2019 um, in terms of, you know, I think what he means by that is, as in they'd be manageable." And then he says. The club have already the club have already lost ninety million euros due to the pandemic, and an investment of one hundred thirty million euros to stadium conversion, mm-hmm. and getting relegated this season would be a further forty million lost in revenue. So, yeah. the interesting thing there for me is the stadium conversion. Is that for euros. the Europe? Yeah. Now, I feel like we've talked about this with Hamburg before. Maybe it was, I can't remember if it was on or off the podcast because I know Hamburg have been hum- grumbling about having to pay this loan. But don't the local or the federal government give them that money to renovate the stadiums? That's a really good question. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe know, it's maybe it's different from club to club, but why I mean, why would a, why would a club like State Stuttgart be in a position to spend 130 million euros on a stadium conversion if they're struggling to even like you know pay their bills and 
well, not pay their bills, but like buy players and stay in the league every season. It would it wouldn't stand to reason that they would they they opted into paying that themselves. I'm just looking up who actually owns the stadium, because that is that is the big question here, right? Hmm. Uh, I think that VfB might actually own the stadium. The operator mm. is the VfB Stuttgart Arena Betriebs GmbH. Which then of course means that if they want to if so they, they had to apply to um they had to apply to host Euro twenty twenty four games, right? Mm. Um as the city of Stuttgart. Having said all that so as, as an owner, they would be required to make the necessary upgrades to the stadium as part of the application process. Mm. Um, having said all that, I, I'm pretty sure that in terms of infrastructure, they got a pr pretty sweet deal out of this because the city would have to update everything around it, right? Mm. Um, it's already a very nice stadium. You know, it I've been is. There for, I've been there for games and it's, it's lovely outside. It's got lovely kind of set up outside where you got this you got the um the restaurants and the beer gardens and things mm -hmm. um i feel like sometimes these clubs are using these stadium renovations for the euros as an excuse because I've, I've seen hamburg do this quite a lot and then people kind of they kind of go quiet when people point out that actually they've got a loan from that's what it is they got a loan from the local federal government to make these um to make the stadium renovations, and it's technically debt that the club have taken on, but it's obviously like a interest-free loan for mm. you know twenty or thirty years or something, which the the state, the city itself would never really reclaim. Mm. So I wonder if it's the same situation here. Either way, so I actually have the exact breakdown of it right okay. in front of me. Um, this is quick googling and researching in German. Uh, the city of Stuttgart owns sixty percent of the stadium, and Stuttgart, the club, owns forty percent. So right. I assume that their 120 million is a parcel of an upgrade that's probably a much larger. Um, and you said the stadium is quite nice. It is. I, it really is. But things like the internet um, is terrible at that <laughs> facility. Um, one of my favorite stories actually is about the internet at that arena, uh, which I will <laughs> not recount here. But... Um, and then like things like the seating area, the VIP area is, needs upgraded because that hasn't been upgraded since like 2004, 2005, mm. right? And um, you know it's like so like the last upgrade of this facility was for the 2006 World Cup, which by the time the Euros come around, would have been 18 years ago. So I think there's a lot of like little things that need to be upgraded in terms of infrastructure and like the, the inside the stadium, and that can cost a lot of money really quickly. Mm. Yeah, sure. Okay, I'm I'm not I'm not really disputing that the stadium probably needs upgrades, but I'm disputing Stuttgart claiming that they're paying it all themselves, perhaps. Yeah. Um, just but anyway, the, I guess the point I'm making here is that the wider point I was trying to make was that this is just all sim symptomatic of problems that Stuttgart have had forever. It seems you know, like a lot of these clubs in the Bundesliga that just these former giants that are just run like, like I said on Twitter, they run like circus shows, you know? Mm. And there's no real interest in kind of being serious about things and moving forward and accountability when stuff like this happens. Um, you know, the chairman keep their jobs, the board members keep their jobs, everything just kind of rumbles on. And I don't know, I'd be I'd be infuriated if I was a Stuttgart fan. Like I would be if I was a Schalke fan or a Hamburg fan or, you know, mm. any of these big, big clubs that they just seem to sleepwalk from one season to the next. And now Stuttgart are saying, actually, if we get relegated, we're in real financial trouble. Well, whose fault is that? Why why is the club being put in that position? And why did the club have a head coach who on his first day back in the job makes extremely inappropriate and outdated remarks? You know, it's just... It's just it's just so bizarre. I find it very very odd, and I think I think you know I I know I sound like a broken record on this podcast when I go on about these clubs that you know are just kind of treated like old factories on the on the outskirts of town. Um, but that's it 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 really drives me insane to be honest. What I also don't understand is what happened with all the Mercedes money. Mm. You know, I guess that they. I, 
yeah, they entered the club in 2017. They made a 44 million euro, 44 million dollar, 41.5 million euro investment um, to buy 11 percent of the shares. Now there has been some mm. um, some debates on whether they might actually exit the club, which is would be a terrible situation for them. But this, I mean, <sighs> this is what I don't understand. There's obviously people. Well, yeah, usually when big companies like that say, okay, we're going to rethink our investment, that means that they probably didn't get the say that was promised to them. But one of the things that Bayern Munich do so well is that they have these minority investors, right? Like Allianz, um, Audi, uh, Adidas, who all sit on the board. And these people seem to be able to have enough influence for the club to make the right decisions. You know what I mean? Like and like, mm. for some odd reason, the other clubs in German football just don't seem to be able to do that to actually make good n make good use of the know-how that you, that these investors bring by having seats on the board. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's got a long story short. Um, Stuttgart are a shit show, and they remain a shit show. Yeah, and they shouldn't be because it's a rich city with. As we just said, the backing of, of of a huge car company with deep pockets, mm. right? That in a location um, of the country that is very rich, and for some odd reason they can't replicate what another club in a similar area of Germany is doing. You know, just 106 kilometers east. Mm. There is no reason in the world why Stuttgart shouldn't be in the same situation as Bayern. Yeah. It's 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 infuriating, but yeah. well, well, I guess we just kind of have to hope, I guess, that they don't get relegated. We may we may never see them again. Yeah, it becomes like Hamburg and Stuttgart, uh, Schalke, right? Like teams that are mm. just continuously in trouble. Um, you know, how many relegations does it take for them to be in a situation where they just can't come back? Or maybe it does take another relegation and an investor actually coming in and say, like, look, we have to completely change the, the club structures here. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I think I think this is what a lot of these clubs just don't have. And I, I remember speaking to people online about this and, you know, I think anyone who's kind of worked at a big German company or kind of a lot of the stuff kind of chimes with their experiences where, you know, even though Germany is very liberal in a lot of ways, it's also a very conservative country. And I think mm. in terms of business, um, business uh, practices and things like that it's also very conservative in that way and i think a lot of these companies and and i think the football clubs reflect this it's very much a kind of closed knit old boys club a lot of the times you know not not in the sense that like um you know they're all patch on the back and kind of only promote themselves but i mean in the sense that they they they, they do kind of protect themselves they protect themselves from a lot of outside influence it's not very it's not open and cutthroat like you would get in a kind of, you know, um, I'm going to say like kind of Anglosphere approach to business where you see like in the US and the UK where it's very cutthroat. It's very kind of like CEOs get fired and sacked all the time. It's very, you know, um, fly or die sort of stuff, which I don't know. I just It's just very different culture, I guess, in that sense, which is something I've certainly noticed. And I think this is the kind of bad side to that where, there can be a lot of kind of malaise. There can be a lot of kind of um, a lot just doesn't happen um, because people get very comfortable in their positions. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the changing to the better or changing to new approaches is very slow in Germany. And mm -hmm. then once those new once something is taken on, then it's very hard to change that uh, when the situation changes. I mean the. Um, the governments, the government and the different companies were quite happy to take Russian money, right? Mm. Um, and it took a while for it to be that would be the accepted norm. But once it became practice, it was almost like they became dependent on it because it was so easy. And um, I feel like a lot of clubs then, like Schalke is a good example of that, really struggled when, when all of a sudden the landscape changed. And I mean, uh, you see that with German teams. They, they still take, I mean, they... Chinese money is, is still pretty pre prevalent, right? For mm. example, and like what happens when the political situation changes there, it's almost like a reactionary situation. And yeah, that's something that, you know, there's some things that that kind of model is very really good in because it's like, it's very steady and it's like, go, 
you, it's reliable, but it's not very good when you have to react to something really quickly. Yeah. If that makes exactly. sense. No, exactly, exactly. I completely agree. So it's, I guess it's just something we have to keep an eye on and see how Stuttgart do in the second half of the season and, you know, yeah. how, they, how they approach these challenges. A potential giant in German football. Um, speaking of giants in German football, Stefan, this is a, <laughs> this is a big topic. Mm-hmm. So Manuel Neuer, <laughs> Germany go out early of the World Cup and uh, he's gone ski touring, you know, mm. which is essentially you, you go hiking on your skis and then there is a downhill portion to it too if you want to, unless you go on a, what the Germans call a Genuss tour. I, I, I have added some hats with people in the North America because in North America you always go up and then you have to go down on your skis because, you know, you do it in the middle of the Rockies, there's no lift or anything to take you down. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't actually know what exactly Manuel Neuer did, right? Mm. Uh, we can assume there might have been a downhill portion. We don't know. Um, we know that downhill skiing isn't allowed. Um, for some odd reason, Bayern Munich did not have those kind of risk clauses in Manuel Neuer's contract, which just seems insane. But mm. And the other insane part about the story is he announced that he had broken um, the lower leg, his lower leg in two places that mm. require a surgery with screws that have to stay in there for the rest of his career, however long that is on Instagram before the club even knew. <laughs> so, here's the thing, right? Isn't that crazy? That part is crazy. It's bonkers. It's absolutely <laughs> bonkers. And I, I it kind of think, it says to me that, and this isn't this isn't the first time that I think Manuel Neuer has kind of given me the impression that when he isn't playing football, he just does what he wants. To a large extent, yeah. because I know he's a very pop. He's he's very. Um, I remember reading stories. Can't remember if this was back when I was living in Germany, but or maybe he does it routinely, mm-hmm. where he just goes off hiking. And I'm we're talking kind of like extreme yeah. hiking, I think, here where he's gone for like two or three days in the Alps or something. And I just feel like even stuff like that is probably frowned upon for footballers because anyone who goes hiking, they know that they sprain their ankles, they trip up, they slip up, mm-hmm. they fall down slopes. You know, it's not to say that hiking's extremely dangerous, but it's one of those little niggly activities that can really do your knees in and your and your ankles in quite easily. So I can't imagine the yeah. club would be ecstatic with that. But he's obviously at an age and a status where I suppose he just tells them that he's he doesn't really care what they say. You know, you know? He's obviously a senior player in that team. He's a lead he's in that kind of inner leadership circle. Um and I guess, you know, the club just kind of... I mean, a player at his age, they're not exactly... Bayern Munich aren't exactly going to turn around and say, well, we're going to terminate your contract because, you know, there'd be an uproar because he's obviously a fan favourite. He's a club legend, so... Mm. He's obviously pushed his luck, perhaps, and maybe this is just what's happened of it. And it's just led to the most bizarre scenario because poor Bayern Munich have already had a number of injury concerns from this World Cup to concern themselves with. And... You know, <laughs> and then they've got this to deal with, and it and it's just bonkers. And and like the thing is, like there's obviously no talks. I mean, when does it? When did do they think he'll be able to return? It's well, like the end of the he's year, out maybe until at least August. At least yeah. August. And but didn't he say? And he still has hopes of being a starter for Bayern next season, and maybe. And he was talking about you know starting for Germany at the Euros and things, and. Oh man! I mean, I get no. it because he's obviously a very talented <laughs> and very driven athlete, you know. So, I mean, it, it, it makes sense that he's obviously when someone asks him these questions, he's obviously going to turn around and say, "Well, yeah, of course, I'm going to do these things." But if you're Bayern Munich, you must be thinking, "Come on now, <laughs> like we have to make contingency plans here." Manuel Neuer is probably the one player in that squad. Uh, that they haven't had to make contingency plans for for a long time, to the extent that mm. the player that they did sign to one day replace him is currently out on loan at Monaco, and like they can't even they can't even say, okay, Alexander Nobel, it's your turn 
to step up to the plate and become our number one because Manuel Neuer will probably spend the next eight months telling any interview he's like no I've got every intention of being a number one when I come back <laughs> you know so it, it it's it's a tricky one isn't it yeah I, I okay so he's going to be 37 in March right um He's going to be out until August. So by the time he he's fully fit again, he'll be close to 38. Um, playing a goalkeeping style that is very active, right? Mm. Um, this is a big body that he's moving as well. I'm, I'm the same height and weight as Manuel Neuer. And as many positives that that brings with it, it also means the recovery time um, is a little bit longer for us because, like, that's a, that's a big frame to move, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at a high speed, and um, you know, you feel your knees and joints a little bit more because of that. Because it, it, you know, yes, that, it's just a lot of weight, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying he's heavy or anything, but you are at that height. You just are. It's just the natural natural part that comes with it. Um, and the fact that there's two screws in his shin bones now, mm. on top of the metastasal, broken metastasal he had twice. Mm. <sighs> I, I just think if I was Bayern Munich, I would bring back Alexander Nübel and say the time is now. Yeah. As hard as that sounds. And, you know, there has been these rumors about Livakovic, who's obviously playing a great tournament for Croatia. Um, and Oliver Kahn just happened to be there, right, for one of those games. I think it was the um, the Brazil game mm. where Liverpool was was quite good, but you know the XG against him wasn't actually that high. Um, and I don't think he is necessarily the the keeper that the Bayern Munich need. Um, the other one was Kayla Navas, like as if PSG would give them the keeper just before the Champions League game. Um, that's not going to happen. So you have to you have to really think that maybe Bayern Munich have to make a rational decision here and say, we don't know if Neuer is coming back. We don't know. We signed mm-hmm. this other guy, Alexander Nübel, to long-term replace Manuel Neuer. We parked him in Monaco. Like, if you don't bring him back now, you never bring him back. Yeah. That's... The, the, the interesting thing here, of course, is that you know, Alexander Nobel, or perhaps more specifically, his agent have been very outspoken over the course of the last couple of years about not, about Neuer blocking that development path. Uh, and of mm-hmm. course, you could argue that you know Neuer's got every right to do so. And I think last season he was actually quite a good player, so there's no problem there. It's not as if Neuer's just kind of standing in between the goalposts with a Zimmer frame or anything like that. But yeah, you know, it does come across as though there's kind of no love lost between. You know, the Bell's agent and Bayern Munich at times. Uh, and even actually, you know, he's, there's quotes circulating around from him yesterday uh, in which he says they still haven't heard anything from Bayern Munich about this. And I think Fabrizio Romano was saying there's no clause in the agreement that allows Bayern mm. to bring Mo- bring him back from Monaco. So they may even have to pay Monaco some sort of compensation fee to bring him back early. So... It's not something that they can just kind of do on the fly and just say, right, let's just bring him back and, you know, at least we know we've got him there if we want to use mm. him. They're basically going to have to make a decision. If we want him to start, we're going to have to spend X amount of money and we're going to have to stick with him, you know? Um, But then he's not going to come back unless he can get reassurances that, you know, he's going to play not only for the rest of the season, which is probably a f- easy thing to offer, but also that he'll be in a fair shot of playing next season. Um, but... Yeah, and the issues too, I think that the Nubel camp is really disappointed because of the promises that were made when he originally signed from Schalke, right? The fact that there was mm-hmm. a certain amount of games that Salihamidzic had said he would be playing every year. And then, of course, um, Bayern Munich communicated that to Nubel, but didn't communicate that to Manuel Neuer, who then... Uh, very quickly said that he wants to play every game um so i think that's where a lot of the disagreements and disappointments stems from from the nubel camp right because they Mm. they feel that um promises weren't kept at the time which is understandable that now that 
there is a situation where Bayern Munich may say to Monaco, we want our goalkeeper back, um, that Alexander Nübel is saying, okay, well, but I'm playing here on a regular basis. And my experience with Manuel Neuer and his f- best friend, <laughs> who is also the goalkeeper coach, mm. um, haven't been exactly great, right? Um, it's just... This is one of these, these, these situations where I think I, I think Bayern Munich might have to make a decision here yeah. on on the long-term strategic role of the goalkeeping position. Yeah. Can I just add like even a third kind of layer of subtext or a, a third plot subplot to this? Um, yeah. Build are reporting that Bayern have called up Tom Ritzy Hulsman, uh, who's the under-19 goalkeeper. Uh, for their kind of mid-season training camp, who which is quite common because you know Bayern do have a good under-19 team, and you know we see players actually get called up from the youth team all the time to train with the first team, so that's not too uncommon. Of course, yeah, they've called him up because they might need more goalkeepers very quickly. But the really interesting thing is that this kid actually has the exact same agent as Manuel Neuer, so. If he was to start mm. getting games, if he was to start playing very well, very quickly, you know, Manuel Neuer might have an even bigger issue in his hands where the one guy he thought he had in his corner, his agent, might actually turn around and say, well, actually, come on, Manuel, maybe it's time to give this kid a shot because, you know, he's also his client as well. So that's an interesting kind of final thing to add to it, which would be kind of fun. Yeah, I think this is like a really interesting one that, we can maybe keep in mind for the show later this week on like what Bayern Munich are going to do in terms of transfers. And obviously this is such a quickly changing situation, right? I mean, the accident happened on the weekend and it's Monday now as we record this. Mm. Um, and like so many things are happening so quickly. And yeah, the agent, Nubel's agent didn't hear anything yet because it's the weekend and Khan is obviously was in Qatar. Um, but I think this is one of those things where, like, maybe by Thursday we know a little bit more on mm. what they're going to do. But I, if I was Bayern Munich and I would have to make a strategic decision, I would go with the thing that I know, and that is that Alexander Nübel is fit. He's been mm. playing on a high level. Um, he he would help them now, and they know that he's also going to be fit next season. And we don't know this about Manuel Neuer. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and. You know, don't want to kick the guy while he's down, but I think I was saying to you and Chris, maybe in the group chat, that this might be a blessing in disguise for Bayern because yeah. Neuer has just not been playing well at all this season. Um, I know he, I know he played quite well at the at the World Cup. He pulled off some big saves, shows that he's still got that in him. But um, from week to week for Bayern, um, mm. I, I just think he was actually a bit of a liability at times. So to bring in a younger goalkeeper is full of confidence. Then it might not be a bad idea for. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann. You know, and the other thing here that's and this is obviously also a really important question, and I, I think I'm going to deep dive a little bit deeper into this into the the newsletter this week. But this is probably also the time now for Germany to turn to Mark Andre Ter Stegen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're not giving him the opportunity now to be the number one, you'll never do it. And I think Ter Stegen is now at an age where we can say okay well it's maybe time we give it to him hmm. no yeah 100 percent. Right. So, yeah and when this is always going to be an interesting it's always going to be interesting when this change of the guard was going to happen and maybe it, finally it's kind of been thrust upon Neuer and like anyone he's just going to have to accept the the changing of time or the passing of time rather well you just and this is like maybe my absolute final point on this uh for this show but the fact that he's gone on this trip also shows you that maybe he just doesn't care as much anymore. Mm. Yeah. As Fraser Crane would once say, there's no such thing as coincidences. We mm. all subcon we all subconsciously uh, make these decisions and lead to these acts these actions lead to reactions. So Yeah. He's, Don't know why he's obviously Fraser- cared about <laughs> 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 He's obviously cared about that more than his career. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Which which okay, is a good segue to the next kid yeah. or the next player who has perhaps um, put things above and beyond his immediate playing career. 
Well, uh, Gio Reyna, right? Um, yeah. I find this... First of all, what was Greg Behalder thinking? It's making these statements. What was it? A, like a conference, right? Uh, yes, it was. He was speaking. So we should give the kind of like brief rundown of any of this story. Yeah. Do you want to give? Do you want to give the kind of brief summary of it, and I can kind of jump in with some quotes if you want. So yeah, that sounds good. So Greg Berhalter was speaking at a. It was a gala, right? Um, and he, he was, was talking. He, he was speaking at the Howe Institute for Society's Summit on Moral Leadership in New York. Perfect. And he was making a. He was giving an example from the last World Cup of how his coaching staff and the player group had to deal with one player, not naming the player, mm. and how um, they tried to reintegrate this player into the group, right? And there's a bunch of quotes about how, what he said exactly. Um, the player was never named, but obviously it quickly came out that it was Giorena, um, which then, of course, led to all sorts of other stories coming out, including that apparently the players voted on whether Gio Reyna was going to be sent home or not. Um, that was so this, later on. I, it's worth pointing out that this was, is all... Like, that was denied, all, right? Yeah, but this is all part of Paul Tenorio's story in The Athletic, we should point yeah. out, which is some great reporting, obviously. So he give, give, mm-hmm. uh, should source that up. Sorry, I'll let you jump back in, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Athletic reported this. Um, I think the quotes were recorded by someone else, though, right? Yes, they were the recorded by the Charter Newsletter. Mm. Okay, and Greg Behelder thought he was speaking off the record, which is just, I'm sorry, but that is that is the craziest part about the story. Um, you know, it's one thing to sit down with, we do this at times, right, Stefan? Um, one of us will have a conversation with someone who works inside the business, mm. um, and they call it, a, a, in German, they call it an Hintergrundgespräch, Mm. In English, that would be like a background conversation yeah. or off-the-record conversation where you just sit down and someone gives you an outlay of everything that happened. You will not cite that conversation. You will not mm. cite the person. The person is a source, right? But it's mm. essentially a, a way for someone to give you background on something that is going on, right? Mm. Um, and then you can scoop it out further or you can report it, but you do not report it based on quotes, right? Yeah, you so don't that's off them. the record. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you speaking at the summit for a leadership summit, hmm. that is a hundred percent on the record. And if you don't know this, then maybe you did not get the right media training. <laughs> yeah, a, a summit is not far off a full blown press conference. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Everything that is said there can be used against you. <laughs> yeah. So basically, the the breakdown of the story was that, and so yeah, obviously the U.S. men's national team coach makes his comments, and then it also kind of chimes in with this reporting about Reina's reported behavior at the tournament to the point that, um, you know, the head coach says we were ready to book a plane ticket home. That's how extreme it got. Mm-hmm. His his behavior. Yeah. Um, which is really quite surprising, I must admit. Um, I mean, I was kind of watching the US men's national team at the World Cup with some intrigue just because, you know, I said before the tournament, I was quite surprised. Well, I wasn't surprised that Gio Reyna got called up because he's obviously a great player, but I kind of put this warning out there that I just did not think he was fit and ready to play for the US. And he didn't end up playing, and that's kind of what's led to this story because you had a lot of people and outlets saying, well, what was the point in calling this kid up if we weren't even going to use him? Um, I think you could probably make a good point that there wasn't really much space for him since Pulisic and you know Wea were obviously playing there. Uh, but this is obviously what's led to it, and it's now come out that you know there were problems behind the scenes, and one reason or another, he wasn't training hard enough, he wasn't making an effort, he was kicking up a fuss when he wasn't getting on the pitch and things like that, which is troubling reading if you're a Dortmund fan. Yeah, and I mean, like, when you talk to people at Dortmund, I think a lot of them are, are quite surprised, right? I mean, um, I think Stefan Buschko tweeted that they, he brought up some examples of where you saw this sort of behavior on the field, but everyone that I talked to at Dortmund 
um, has been really positive about his off-field behavior. Um, and I also want to point out that Jude Bellingham has a lot of the same body language when he plays than Gio Reyna does, right? I mean, Jude mm -hmm. Bellingham is being rightfully praised in the English media at the moment for his performances at the World Cup. But you see the same frustration with him at times than you see with Reyna. So mm -hmm. I think this is more of a Borussia Dortmund problem rather than a player problem, if that makes sense. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. Like this is a frustration that exists in the club at the moment because they're not playing well. It has nothing to do with Reyna in particular because you see it with a lot of the, the players on the field. Um, so I think that's maybe taking something that is the same behavior but taking it out of context to compare it to something that's completely different, hmm. right? Um, and I think that is that is something that I think is quite important to underline here. Um, off the field, people have been really positive about, about Reyna's behavior. Um, I think there was a bit of frustration with Dortmund about the call-up um, that in, that led to the injury that meant that Reyna wasn't 100% fit for this tournament. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that in our um, Behind the Paywall podcast last week, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is, that, that is an interesting subtext here. And I also find it interesting that Bear Halter says all of this at a leadership conference where he was supposed to give an example of leadership, not knowing that he was on the record, not, <laughs> not thinking what this would do to a heated platform like Twitter, mm -hmm. um, with quotes being taken out of context, um, all sorts of rumors being brought up on the back of a World Cup where someone like PFOC wasn't called up, right, who's playing a great tournament for a great season for Union Berlin. But also Ricardo Pepe, remember, he wasn't called up, even though he used him for every game. And I almost wonder, like, this, all of this doesn't sound like good leadership to me. Yeah, it, that, that's, that's another interesting thing that I found from it all, actually, that um, even if this story hadn't come out about Reyna, um, he's he's still going to see those quotes eventually at that summit and know that his head coach is talking about him and he's making an example of him and it's a weird thing to bring up if the subject has been put to rest or the, or the, the issue has been put to rest which you know all parties had mm. suggested and actually to be fair to Reina's agent you know the Athletic got a direct quote from him as a response to the story and he said yeah. basically said it's really bizarre that this has all been dug up again if it was apparently put to rest. Because who, why Why would you go to so much trouble, um, you know, fixing this issue at a World Cup where the pressure cooker's at its highest, only to then, as soon as you get back home, go to a, a conference and bring it all up because it doesn't really matter if people don't know who the player is the player knows who the player is and if he sees the head coach yeah. complaining about this he's going to say well there goes my there goes any kind of um not influence but there, there goes any kind of hope or you know trust i had any confidence mm -hmm. i had in that head coach that's what i'm probably looking for uh that the, i can we can solve things in the changing room and it doesn't it doesn't come out from there so that's one issue that i found very odd the other issue is like you said Unfortunately, it's it's there's there's big there there are a few things popping up here from Dortmund players, and you do kind of wonder if there's a pattern emerging, in the sense that yeah. you know you know Sula and Schlotterbeck just kind of looked a little all over the place for Germany. There were some rumors that Sula didn't show up uh, in full fitness, um, and actually my newsletter this week, which will be up once people can listen, uh, once people can start listening to this, is actually about how Terzic because Dortmund go to Marbella in January for their you know their mid-season training camp and if you actually look along that front line Terzic has basically got four or five players attacking players each of them have an individual problem that needs to be fixed before mm. they can be relied upon in the second half of the season so very tricky time for Dortmund uh, and this is the last thing that they would have needed because, yeah. you know, as I, as I point out in the newsletter, Dortmund, more than any club, I think, um, have suffered because Germany's, due to Germany's uh, untimely demise at the World Cup, because once the World Cup for Germany finished, it, the German media just kind of turned their attention back to domestic football. And a lot of that has meant mm. a huge amount of topics about Dortmund 
and you know why Daniel Malin isn't playing well, why Marco Royce isn't fit yet, why Makuku hasn't signed a new contract, and now mm. why Gio Reyna was, you know, kicking up a fuss in the US camp at the World Cup. So there's a whole lot of speculation and kind of noise around Dortmund, which Terzic would not would would have happily have gone without, at least until the new year. But uh it's um it's it's a problem. And you know, and and and, and it's something that Dortmund are going to have to fix one way or another because if there are attitude problems with some of these players, or if some of them want to leave, or if some of them just aren't working at that club, then Dortmund might have to start making some drastic decisions because you can't mm. you, you, they can't just keep going on as they are right now. No, there has to be some drastic changes, um, and I, I think this this Giorena situation is going to be really interesting to see how they're going to handle it. I think he's back with the club training already, right? Um, yeah, I think so. so you must yeah. have just absolutely loved this, loved seeing this. Uh, yeah, I, I just I think there's so many different facets that are so interesting about this, um, and it, it speaks volume to what has been a different, very difficult relationship between Borussia Dortmund, US US soccer, Giorena, and US soccer. Um, but also Dortmund and the, the way certain players are currently, the, the mindset that certain players have at the moment, mm. um, which is, of course, you know, it, it, as you said, isn't just Bellingham, of course, has played a great Euros, but he has been at times frustrating there. Um, the two defenders, Schlotterbeck and Süle, you can probably make an argument that they were the weak link for Germany. And if they had been playing better, we probably like talking about Germany still at this World Cup, maybe, you know? So mm. it's like... Um, and that is something, a reality that they have to come to terms with. You know, all of this is correct. Um, so I think there's, there's some really interesting storylines coming out there that are going to be, as you said, that's going to fester throughout all the way leading up to the start of the season. Because what else are we going to write about? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So let's just hope it just keeps gathering more and more pace while we take our break. And then we yeah. can come back to almighty chaos. Because that always makes for, bit, for the best podcast, I think. I think so, too. Like, the one final point that I want to make about this, and this is, brings us back to German football, but something like that can be irreparable in terms of a relationship between a federation and a player. And mm. I, ma I made that funny tweet about uh, Stefan Effenberg, right, and him never really coming back to the German national team after his fallout with Bertie Vogts. Mm. Um, another good example of that is Bernd Schuster, right? Mm. Um, it is not unheard of that a young player will never ever come back and play for a national team. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Especially a player um, as interesting. Do you know what? Actually, Gio Reyna has literally just released a statement on Instagram. Uh-oh. Uh, I fully acknowledge that I let my emotions get the best of me and affect my training and behavior for a few days after learning about my limited role. I apologize to my teammates and coach for this. And I was told, uh, and I was told it was forgiven. Uh, I hope not to comment on the matter at the World Cup. It was my belief that things happen in a team setting ought to remain private. So you know, as as literally what we just talked about there. Uh, that being said, statements have been made that reflect on my professionalism and character. So I feel the need to make a brief statement. Just before the World Cup, Coach Berhalter told me that my role determined would be very limited. Again what I mentioned, why call up a kid who's only half fit? Anyway, I was devastated. I'm someone who plays with pride and passion. Soccer is my life and belief in my, I believe in my abilities. I fully expect and desperately want to contribute to the play of a talented group as we try to make a statement of the World Cup. I'm also a very emotional person and I fully acknowledge that I let my emotions get the best of me and affect my training and behavior for a few days after learning about my limited role. I apologize to my teammates and coach for this and I was told and I was told I was forgiven. Therefore, I shook off my disappointment and gave everything I had on and off the pitch. I'm disappointed that there's continuing coverage of this matter, as well as some highly fictionalized versions of events, and extremely surprised that anyone on the US men's team staff would contribute to it. Coach Berhalter has always said that issues that arise with the team will stay in-house so we can focus on team unity and progress. I love my team, I love my country, I'm focused now on only improving uh, blah 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 blah. So, Ooh, that's he's kind of he's yeah he's <laughs> saying he's saying between the reading between the lines there, you know what the fuck? Why yeah. 
why have you gone to this conference and basically just started ratting me out uh, and why is this a story sort of thing, you know? And you can understand to an extent if a player goes in the huff for a couple of days because they're not, they've been told they're not going to play, then that's that's one thing. Uh, but the kind of aftermath from this is, is very bizarre. A and it's very old player, by the way. He's only yeah, exactly. 20. Yeah, I, I was just about to say it's very big of him, very mature of him to acknowledge that, you know, because most 19 or 20-year-olds don't really even know that they're emotional people. You know, I certainly didn't when I was 19 or 20, even mm. though I was. So... Yeah, that's very big of him. So I can understand Reina's frustration here, I must admit. Yeah, I think he's just dropped the H-bomb of all statements. This mm. <laughs> this on Instagram. Yeah. yeah. I could have swore that I read somewhere that Berhalter and the Reina family are actually quite close as well. Yeah, because of his dad, right? Yeah, it goes back to the academy he was at, I think, before he moved to Dortmund. Um, but really odd one. But like you said, it's something we'll have to keep an eye on, and whether it actually kind of spills into his Dortmund form this this week or this season, rather, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, really interesting one. Yeah, that's I, I, I'm just you know as we discuss this, I'm tweeting this because it's an absolute H bomb of a statement. Mm. I mean, this is this is crazy. Like the fact that he said that he's disappointed. Like, how are you even gonna fix that? That's yeah. that's what I'm wondering about. Yeah, you don't really want to kind of piss off your entire one of your best players and one of your future talents as well. But this is not a US men's national team podcast. No. So we should maybe wrap this up and you can go on another podcast to rant about this. <laughs> no, I'm gonna to go to the beach. <laughs> Actually today we're doing Pearl Harbor, which I'm really, really curious about. Yeah. Um, um it's obviously, you know, a huge memorial site and um one of the biggest, most devastating um catastrophes in US history, right? Mm. The attack the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. So I really, really, really curious to see it. Obviously it's also something that you have to visit with a lot of respect. Um so yeah, that's on the on the list today. Um and yeah, it's it's been amazing being in the States and Honolulu and all that. So um I'm not doing another podcast today, Stefan. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, well in that case maybe we should wrap things up then. Yeah. Yeah, we should. Um as always, this podcast is brought to you by uh Bet Online. Um we'll be back later this week. You and I both have newsletters as well, and then we're gonna go on a much deserved Christmas break. We will indeed. We'll save our goodbyes for then. Yeah. So we'll do our goodbyes then. Uh, until next time, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.